Welcome to the Multifamily Cashflow Addicts Podcast, where you'll learn all the strategies to build passive income one door at a time through multifamily real estate investing. You'll hear from experts in their respected fields and from your real estate investing hosts, Marco and Dan, who have successfully completed dozens of fix and flips and apartment deals. And now, your hosts, Marco Canonico and Daniele DeCherbo. So welcome everyone to the Multifamily Cashflow Addicts Podcast. Um, I'm your co-host, Daniela DiCerbo. And I'm your co-host, Marco Canonico. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, mine and Marco's first stab at the whole podcast world. Um, you know, we've been kind of mustering up the, you know, the courage to kind of get on here and, and uh, you know, and speak some game if we could. And, and um, it's probably been, what, about like six, seven months in the making? Yeah, we've been we've been really talking about this for a while and preparing to actually get a full-blown podcast going. And here we are. Yeah, so I mean, this is uh, this is exciting for us, and I think it's uh, you know a good um, you know medium for us to kind of vent you know some of the the, the you know the daily activities that uh, we're pursuing and um, you know where we are in our lives and specifically why it matters to you. Um, we'll get into that later on in the podcast, but um, I think we'll start it off. Um, Marco, you want to take a stab at it? Yeah, yeah, I'll get started. But I uh, just want to let everybody know, like for this podcast, we're probably just going to be speaking about what we'll be talking about in future podcasts. And just lightly uh, touching on uh, some of the strategies that we use. And another reason why we're doing this podcast is because we do have a lot of people asking us how we're doing things, what kind of techniques we're using. And I feel a podcast is a great way to broadcast our message to everybody so that they can get a feel for what it's like to invest um, on our team and, and what kind of stuff we're really doing in general. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, uh, we are from Toronto, uh, born and raised here in, uh, in Toronto and very, very familiar with the GTA uh, getting started in real estate is, is uh, a scary thing and uh, definitely with the intimidating price points that we have here in Toronto and in the surrounding areas, it made a lot of sense to start to venture out to markets that weren't as expensive. And honestly, uh, it, once you're investing remotely, uh, it doesn't really matter where you are. Uh, market conditions are going to kind of be different from market to market. So it just so happened that we started uh, you know, in the United States. And uh, I actually got my first property in Tampa, Florida. And I still remember it took me, you know, a full two days to actually write my first offer. And this was a wholesale. You know, I was doing wholesaling to get started, which I think is a phenomenal uh, technique for people to uh, get started in real estate, get their feet wet, not really have any risk and possibly make big money. And I actually think wholesaling is a great, uh, great place for people to start, but uh, it can be a tough game for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and um, just to add to that, I mean, um, you know, one of the, the drivers for us in, in terms of like why we, you know, wanted to create a podcast and get on here and, and, and uh, you know, speak on a weekly basis is because, like Marco said, you know, a lot of people have been kind of reaching out to us and asking, um, you know, what we're doing and, and how we're making it work. And, you know, what's appealing to most people is that we're, you know, Canadians, specifically Torontonians, um, you know, who invest outside of our market and not just invest out of, you know, invest outside of our market, but, um, you know, as foreigners in, in, in the U.S., right? So we're specifically investing in the U.S. Um, you know, right now we have a lot of fix and flip properties. I think we got we got 12 ongoing right now, right, Marco? 12 ongoing, yeah. Yeah, so 12 properties. Um, you know, we'll get more into, you know, our transition of, you know, our real estate investing, you know, where it's taken us. But right now we have about 12 deals on the cusp and, um, you know, three are, uh, um, well, sorry, two, two are on the market right now. Three are um, going to be on the market in the next two weeks, right? 
Yeah, we should have three properties hit the market in the next two weeks. Actually, this week we have actually tomorrow, uh, we should have one hit the, hit the market. That's the college one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, so yeah, uh, and then the rest of them are going to be in the next what three or four next months. Hand, next handful of uh, of weeks, they should all be on the market. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, we thought we'd just kind of give you guys, um, you know, an inside look at some of the, you know, the single family side, um, you know, operation, and and you know, we see. Um, you know, going back to why we're investing in the U.S., we see, you know, the American market, um, you know, as a huge, you know, opportunity to, you know, get him, you know, get him, you know, invest in some of these properties and at much lower price points. I mean, for those of you that know anything about Canada or specifically Toronto, um, it's a very, you know, solid, strong market. Um, you know, uh, you know, prices are very high, as you know. And for us to kind of do the same thing that we're doing in the States and, you know, scaling our um you know, the, the fix and flips and properties that we're, you know, getting under contract and purchasing and, you know, repositioning. It's very hard to do that in a, in a, in a high price point market like Toronto. And, you know, being in the States, um, it allows us to, you know, you know, our dollar goes a much longer way. And, you know, also um, the fact that there's obviously more parity in Toronto in terms of, you know, the economics. Um, but in the States, there's a lot of, you know, distressed areas, people in distressed situations, you know, people reaching foreclosure. And basically what I'm alluding to is the fact that um, there's a lot more opportunity to find, you know, distressed properties at 60, 70 cents on the dollar, you know, which allow us to, you know, buy properties, um, you know, with profit already worked into them. And and that's why we're, uh, you know, we're over in the States and we found a way to, we have some American partners and we found a way to set up some solid systems with contractors and, you know, agents and, and you know, wholesalers and all that to kind of streamline um, our acquisitions and, you um, I think we've, um, you know, done a pretty good job for, uh, you know, being uh, Torontonians and investing out of our market. Yeah, absolutely. And just to to touch upon something I mentioned earlier, I did talk about wholesaling. And just for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's essentially being a middleman on a deal. So when you go out there and locate a property and put it under contract, there's all sorts of ways to do this. The most simple would be to assign the property over to another buyer. And you're essentially taking a fee for locating a property and passing it off to somebody who's going to execute on the deal. And most wholesalers don't have the capabilities to actually go forward on a deal, but they do have a lot of time on their hands, which is what's required to find good quality real estate deals. Something that a lot of people don't tell you when you're getting started in the real estate game is how difficult it actually is to find a deal. And that's just because there's so many people searching and a good real estate deal is just money on the table. And you know how often you're walking down the sidewalk and money's just sitting there. And that's essentially what you find when you find a good real estate deal with lots of uh, room to, to make money. So any wholesalers will, will put a properties under contract and just try to find investors like ourselves to pass that property over to in order to uh, uh, you know just make a quick fee. That's what they're looking for. And then the investors are there to make the bigger bucks. So we, you know, we started by doing that. We had some good traction. Then as Dan was mentioning, we got into the single family fix and flips. And we've got lots of properties right now that are uh, currently in various stages. And of, Marco, you sort of interrupt you, but you want to mention the uh, the cities and states that those properties are in? We yeah, forgot so, to mention so that. the markets uh, that we're working in, which, you know, being Torontonians, we are heavily dependent on our partners, which are, uh, you know, very key components to our, our flipping. So we do like to stay in the same areas. Once we have traction and we are getting deals, we're funding them, we're flipping them, we stay in those areas. So we have... Um, about four properties. We got four right now in the Tampa market. Yeah, uh, that's Tampa and surrounding areas. So that covers St. Petersburg, Clearwater, Sarasota, in the entire west coast of Florida, basically. Uh, we also have a team set up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and we've got some 
more high-end uh, uh, products uh, that are going to be coming to the market there. Um, we, we found a, you know, a, a nice little pocket that we've been buying properties in that market. And, and then another market that's uh, been very difficult to purchase in, but we have had some success, is in Nashville. Strong and, market. Yeah. Uh, very strong market. It's tough to find deals, but we have some properties there as well that are uh, going to be uh, hitting the market soon. And, and I'm excited for those ones, to be honest, because Nashville, especially you know right around now in the spring, is such a hot market. Oh, People move, love yeah. it. Anybody I've ever talked about Nashville, you know, their ears perk up and their eyes brighten. They say, oh, you're doing deals in Nashville. And I say, yeah, yeah you know, we are. So <laughs> tough, tough to find them, right? The gaps are obviously yeah, much Yeah, and tighter, that's but... the thing. When markets are hot, the investors are just on the ball. And any time there's any sort of deal, you have, uh, you know, it's like a bunch of piranhas. There's any meat somewhere, it's gone. And you got to, you know, really, really fight and network to find the deals. And the importance of networking, too. Like, we, we get a lot of our deals from wholesalers and, and, and uh, real estate agents that are bringing properties to us. And that's another reason why we're able to get what we do uh, done from up here. Those connections are, yeah, super important. Um, and I guess maybe, you know, to transition, I guess, back to the wholesaling, you know, we don't want to touch too much on wholesaling because that's not where, uh, you know, what we're about. But it's, um, you know, also very, like, core, I guess, to, like, our, um, you know, first... Um, phase of kind of getting involved in real estate and how we made our, you know, first checks, I guess. And it's kind of helped us in, in terms of, um, you know, understanding, you know, each side of a, a transaction. Like, you know, me and Marco in the beginning, um, you know, we're reaching out to a lot of people that were in, you know, pre-foreclosure, um, you know, uh, probate scenarios and all that. So we're kind of dealing with, you know, um, people that were in very distressed situations that were, you know, in financial hardships, very tough conversations to have. Uh, very, you know, emotional, um, and just just a very tough game. So we've kind of transitioned from that, but it allowed us to kind of see the opportunity um, and to really understand exactly what the seller's looking for, and you know what the buyer's looking for. So once you um, once we understand, you know, both sides of the game, it allowed us to kind of make an easier transition into you know funding our own fix and flips, and now. Um, which we're going to talk more about transition into multifamily because it allows us to understand, you know, every side of the deal and what their wants and needs are. And um, I mean, that was, um, you know, a crucial part of, I think, our our, uh, our ascension and, and yeah. um, you know, growth, I guess. And, right? I, and I actually just want to make one point very, very clear. Whether you're wholesaling or flipping, this is a, a big problem with a lot of people when they're looking at getting started in real estate. They think that they're very limited by their capital. And they think that they can't do deals without capital. And the truth is you actually can. Wholesaling is the biggest proof of that. But you can actually flip houses without capital as well. And that's something that I, I just think that is uh, it's a bit of a myth. You know, people think like, I need money if I want to get started. And that's really just not the case. Real estate doesn't care about how much money you have. Real estate cares about the deal. And if you got the deal, the money will follow. Exactly. So, I mean, that gets, you know, that... Um, easily kind of brings us to, you know, where we are now. And we're pretty much, um, you know, we haven't closed all doors. Um, we're still heavily involved in the single family side. Um, you know, we're managing and, and still have a, a good funnel of deals coming in and, and properties that we're acquiring and repositioning. But now, um, you know, me and Marco have kind of made the transition to the multifamily side. So um, obviously the title of the podcast is the Multifamily Cashflow Addicts Podcast. And basically multifamily, for those of you who don't know, is pretty much, um, you know, multi-res, multi-unit, you know, buildings, apartment buildings, you know, 
Um, it's actually it's actually considered uh, like above five units. Is because yeah, commercial, right? Yeah. So that's kind of where we are now. Um, we'll get more into you know how we vet um, a commercial or multifamily deal. Um, you know, me and Marco are actually driving out to Georgia next week, right? Next week we're in Georgia, that's right. Fifteen hour drive, decided to uh take the drive instead of fly it. You know, keep some, some money in the pocket. I think it'd be a nice drive too, you know, kinda of look at the Yeah, yeah, very nice drive. Yeah. And we can stop off uh look at some of our other flips in Nashville. Yeah. On the way. So that the, the building we're actually gonna look at um is a sixty nine unit building. Um and we're not gonna get too much into that, but that's kind of um, you know, the the size of, of uh you know, these dwellings that we're looking at. And um yeah, I mean so a lot of the conversation and in, in, in the episodes that are going to follow in this podcast are going to highlight a lot of key terms, you know, a lot of you know key metrics of how um, you know you should analyze deals, what those KPIs are. Um, Marco, if you want to start us off with um, actually before we get into some of the terms, maybe we can um, shine more light on how we value the class of multifamily real estate in terms of like class A, class B, class C, and, and um, maybe kind of get into that first before we Yeah, go sure. On so um, there's, there's four classes uh, when it comes to assessing a multifamily building. And we like the B and C classes, and I'm going to get into those in just a second. Um, the, um, the a, I'll start with the A classes. A class buildings are the most pristine condition, usually in the best areas. They are the type of buildings that are extremely secure. They are deemed as extremely safe investments. Now, the great thing is that they're in the best condition. They were probably recently built and, you know, everybody uh, wants to own those, but they really don't produce a whole lot of cash because they're so secure and because they're so, um, uh, Dan, what's the word? Like, uh, well, the, the value of the building They're stable, they're yeah. secure, they're. They're in prime real estate areas. So, yeah, like they're usually very, very, very solid assets that, uh, because, because of all the reasons I just mentioned, they sell on really, really low cap rates. And basically, people will overpay for these properties just because they're so sound. And, you know, that's great. There's very low risk in owning them. And typically, a lot of the buyers of these kind of class A. Uh, buildings are like institutional, you know, groups and you know, big funds that can, you know, what I mean. They they want, uh, yeah. they want that appreciation. Yeah, and, for sure. The, the thing is, though, they're they're very expensive. They they do they do have a great uh, appreciation opportunity, for the most part. Uh, but the downside is just you don't you don't get a whole lot of cash flow from them. And uh, we are the cash flow addicts, so we That's the we podcast, care right? yeah. we care about cash flow. And and I'll tell you, cash flow is actually my favorite thing. I I would pick cash flow over appreciation any day. Um, so that's that's your class A. Class B is like a step down from that. It's still a solid building, but it might be a little bit older. Yeah, third maybe thirty forty years old. Yeah, it's it's class uh, A is more what like ten. It's probably a good good you know, condition still. Yeah. Um, but it's just not an A building. It's just not, you can tell the difference when you look through pictures of what I'm talking about. And your B buildings are just a little bit less safe. The good thing about them is they're still producing a decent amount of cash flow, which is nice. Generally speaking, you'll get cap rates, you know, uh, six to 8% on, uh, on a B building. So those are pretty good. C is, is just another level down. Uh, but this type of building probably will have heavy cash flow, which is nice. Might have a bit deferred maintenance, but it's uh, you know all around a, a good quality building. We like to purchase B and C buildings because there's a lot of room for cash flow. There's um, 
you know, uh, they're usually in, in decent areas. They're not necessarily the best locations, but definitely not the worst. And uh, they, they actually work as the best investments, like I said, because they have the biggest opportunity for cash flow. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. I think when you're dealing with appreciation, there's a big element of um, speculation that comes with that. I think for the most part, you can predict sort of where the appreciation is going to take place. Uh, but it's still a little bit more of a gamble than cash flow. Cash flow can be calculated off of you know what the building is capable of producing, and as long as you're running a tight ship, you should be able to get the returns that you want off of cash flow. So B is better than C in terms of its uh, security and, and the shape that it's in, but B and C is where we like to buy. Now, there is another uh, class. It's a Class D building, and we don't really like those buildings because they are in... Uh, war zone areas, Dan, how else would you describe a D building? Yeah, I mean, just very, very unstable, high vacancies. Um, the tenants are, you know, lower income people. Yeah, There's like cr- a lot of crime. High crime high. areas, usually not good locations. They are sold on extremely high cap rates. And for anybody who doesn't know what a cap rate is, it's basically the return that you would get on a building if you bought it with all cash. So a lower cap rate means you got to distribute a lot of cash to get a little bit of cash flow, whereas high high caps, you know, which is probably considered anything over 10, uh, really anything over eight is pretty high, uh, is going to mean a lot of cash flow coming in from your investment. And again, this is if you bought it all out in cash. Uh, so it's your return, essentially, for paying full price in cash. Uh, now, the D buildings, you're going to have problem tenants uh, that won't pay you. They might You might have squatters in some of your units. Um, you got a lot of crime and, and problems associated with these tenants. And it's a real headache to manage these buildings. Now, there are people that are making tons of money off of uh, managing, you know, D or owning really uh, D uh, class buildings. Uh, there's a way to do it, but it doesn't really work for our investment strategy. So we prefer B and C because there's a balance between appreciation and being in a decent location and you have that massive opportunity for cash flow, which is what we're chasing. BC, right? You have to look at who's actually, who are these tenants? You know, what's their, you know, their income? What kind of people are they? What, you know, what are the demographics and all that? So that's super important to understand, um, you know, who's actually renting out these units. And what's important to understand is that, you know, Marco was saying that, you know, B and C are where we're buying. C is, is a very strong um, asset class in the sense that there's very high cash flow and there's an ability to kind of reposition the building and add value and bring the quality of the building up to a B-class building. And why that's important to note is because if you look at, um, you know, two different times in the economy, right? So let's say that, for example, you know, during a recession, Class A renters are usually people um, that maybe can't afford their rents. That's usually the top of the, you know, the market that's getting hit first. Class A renters during a recession will then kind of transition down to class B and become class B renters because that's what they can afford to pay now. And during an economic boom, class C renters will move up and, you know, potentially rent in class B. So class B is obviously the strongest um, building class because you get the fusion of, you know, what's above and and below in terms of um, the type of tenants. Um, But we see class C um, as a very strong uh, asset, class to, asset class to be in because we can cash flow while we reposition and add value to the building in hopes that we can catch appreciation as well. So that's a 
kind of where yeah, we're focusing. Dan, and that's looking. a fantastic point about, uh, you know, A's moving down to B's and C's going up to B's. At the end of the day, what he's basically saying is that there's always going to be a tenant for the B building. So you should really have very low vacancies and you should always have a rental demand when you own one of those uh, type of buildings. Yeah. And I guess maybe we can transition that into, um, you know, actually maybe some of the topics we'll cover. So, I mean, um, you know, there'll be an array of, of topics that we'll cover. We kind of mentioned before, we'll, you know, we'll kind of highlight a lot of key terms. Um, I'll kind of mention some. Marco, you can maybe add if you want. Same thing, you can mention some stuff and I'll add. But I think one of the things we'll cover, obviously, just some basic stuff. Keep in mind as well, um, you know, for those of you that are maybe more savvy and understand a lot of the terms, um, and maybe you're more seasoned in terms of uh, you know your understanding, or maybe you're even active in multifamily space right now. Um, we're sorry if we sound redundant, but we kind of want to um, speak to every single level uh, of knowledge. So I mean, we're going to cover you know cash on cash returns, um, you know simple cap rates, you know how the buildings are valued, net operating income. What else we'll kind of get into, I guess. Um, you know, how... Appreciation, forced appreciation. Forced appreciation, market appreciation, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, versus the two. Um, let's see, how we, you know, analyze markets. You know, how we how we find, how we see that a market is fit for um, what our, you know, deal criteria is. What our deal criteria is as well. We'll, we'll kind of dive into how we vet a deal and what we're looking for. You know, uh, kind of red flags to avoid a deal. Um, you know, we'll also walk through some of our... Um, you know, deals that we're closing on as well and kind of show you a step-by-step and we can apply some of the, um, you know, the terms that we're going to cover. Um, what else? Actually, maybe we should get into, um, talk a little bit about, we're not going to go too deep because we're going to have an episode on this, but um, a little bit about market cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe you, you want to start it off, Marco, and then I'll, uh, or maybe do you want me to start it off? You start it off, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of market cycles, um, this is a, a very kind of crucial part of analyzing um, you know, what market to buy in. So at any time, there's maybe, um, you know, a certain amount of or a certain number of markets that are in a certain cycle of the market. Generally, there's four core cycles. And the first one is basically seller stage one, which is expansion. And then there's followed by seller stage two, which is basically hyper supply, uh, followed by buyer stage one, which is recession, and buyer stage two, which is recovery. So the best... Um, the best market cycle to buy in um, is recovery um, because it is the last stage before the market shifts back into expansion. We'll cover more exactly those four phases of the market, what the criteria is to know that you're in, you know, phase one, two, three, or four. Um, But basically what we're saying is you're trying to find the dip of the market and you're buying it, um, you know, obviously at a good price and, you know, the the market pretty much moves in – you know, five to 10 year swings. Yeah, like at any given time, you know, like right now in this very moment, across all of North America, every city is going through one of these four cycles. And every market's going to be a little bit different than one another. Some of them will have, you know, shorter cycle uh, timeframes. Some of them will have longer ones. But generally speaking, there's about a, a seven to, to 10 year, um, you know, uh, process that kind of takes place and these markets go through a bit of a boom and a bust every single time and like I said some markets it, it happens more significantly than others some of them are more linear well we talk a lot about how mid-america has a lot more linear markets which are more cash flow based which are those higher cap rate deals I personally love those 
because like I said, cash flow is a little bit more predictable than the appreciation, but there's massive amounts of money, like insane amounts of money that can be made off of appreciation. Rents increase a small amount over the amount of units, over the cap rate over 12 months. Like it's an insane amount of value increase off of just a little bit of a, of a market boost if you have the right building. So, you know, there's, there's things to note about timing, which is, I think, what is important here. And just knowing what stage of the, of the market you're in is very important because just by timing it right, there's a lot more extra money on the table when you're purchasing these kinds of buildings. Yeah, I mean, so just kind of going back to that dip of the market, which is basically like the recovery stage, you'll start to see decreased vacancy rates, um, you know, low new construction. So there's less building, um, moderate absorption, um, low employment, uh, employment growth and um, low rental growth. So basically, these are kind of like some of the signs that there's, you know, you're at the bottom of a market. And, you know, to Marco's point in terms of understanding, having an aerial view of what cycle you're in will allow you to get, you know, the most appreciation. So, for example, the reason why that's very important is that if you buy, if you know that, um, you know, you're in a certain cycle of the market and you know that typically that cycle lasts, you know, three to five years or whatever it might be, um, you know that if your exit on your deal is maybe a five-year hold, you know that when you sell your deal there and you've reached, you've maxed out um, the the market appreciation because the market has gone up, rents have gone up, and you've forced appreciation by adding you know value to the building. When you sell that property in five years, you could then take your cash and find the next you know emerging market that's in the recovery stage and do the same thing. So your 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 cash is more powerful in a stronger market that's. Um, you know, accelerating and you're buying at the right time. So, yeah, you can say, well, why don't we just hold these properties for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years? That's, that's great. And that's a, a great strategy in itself. And obviously you can, you have the potential to build a, you know, a solid um, cash machine. But when you look at the cycles of the market and you buy at the right time, your, your dollar is going to yield you more if you buy in the right time and take it and, um, you know, reallocate it in a, in, a, in a market that's doing the same thing. Yeah, that's if you just buy, hang on to it during that appreciation swing, sell, purchase in another market that's on its way up. I think that's what Dan's talking about, uh, uh, which is which is a good strategy, which is a better strategy than just hanging on to one property for 30, 40 years. I think a lot of the things that we like to do are how to get that extra edge, how to get more out of your money, how to get more out of your resources. So I think that uh, you know there's lots of ways to make money in real estate, but we're looking at what's the best strategy and what's the best use of my cash. And the perfect example of that, and this is just a little bit off topic, but uh, there are people who think to themselves, I want to get into the market. I want to buy a house. If I don't, prices will continue to go up and I'll never be able to afford it. I'm going to be a tenant my entire life and I don't want to do that. And their idea is that I need to save up a down payment. I need to buy a house. I need to build equity through appreciation on my home in order to have a financially free life so that I have something something investing, something growing. And I think that is a terrible strategy. I think buying a home is an awful uh, way to, I mean, it's not awful, like I said, I think it works, but I think there's better uses of that money. At the end of the day, you're chasing financial freedom, so you're gonna buy a house, and what? You're gonna just sit there for years? I mean, you're gonna have all sorts of, of maintenance costs, you're gonna have property taxes this entire time, uh, you know, you got a big fat mortgage to pay while you sit there. Yeah, you're married. 
Yeah. You're married to the property, and the thing is, if you ever choose to sell, you can kiss away probably you know a year or two of your appreciation because of your real estate fees. And the higher it goes up in value, the more you're going to pay in real estate fees. And uh, honestly, it's just not the best strategy. You're stuck to that house. It's a big piggy bank. And I think you know a lot of people need to change the way they think about their money and change the way they think about real estate because if you didn't buy that super expensive house that in your head is just going to keep going up in value and instead you purchased an income stream, uh, which, which you can do actually through Willowdale Equity, um, then you, know, you can actually get paid on a consistent basis through the cash that you've invested and you can rent. You can rent a place uptown. You can rent a place downtown. You can change it up. You sign your lease agreement. You're entitled to those payments, but when it's over, when you, when you make those payments that you're obligated to make and your lease expires, you are a free bird. You can go move to another building. You can go move to a, a, a beautiful waterfront penthouse that was really expensive, but you only signed a six-month lease, so it's not that big of a deal. Then you go live in a basement for a few months. You're a free bird. You do whatever you want. You can change cities. It doesn't matter. You're not paying any transaction costs. And if you want to move around from you know one place and move to another place and move to another place, but you own these properties, you're going to get killed in real estate fees and transaction costs, land transfer tax, and all sorts of moving expenses. So really, I think the best way to chase freedom, if that's what you're after, using real estate is to buy income producing real estate. I think multifamily real estate is the way to go because there's a lot of security in buying a lot of units. And another sticking point for people is that they can't afford these super expensive buildings. And again, that's where Willowdale Equity comes into play because you know by working together, we can purchase very, very, very stable assets. Like another thing is an argument somebody might make is, well, okay, maybe I won't, maybe I'll, I'll rent, I like that idea, and I'll cash flow a duplex or a triplex, but you don't want to be a landlord of two to three units because you're going to get killed being, you know. The, yeah, a, you're self-managing a, it, right? The property yeah. manager's not enough meat in the deal There's for not to, enough money to, to hire and, a property yeah. manager on that deal. <clears throat> so you're going to end up self-managing, it's a headache, and then you're going to start telling everybody how much real estate sucks and you hate real estate and it doesn't work because you just had the wrong strategy. So I think the best way to go is, you know, team up with other people, work with us, get your get your money in uh, into some multifamily real estate. I think that's kind of the, the new trend that a lot of people are starting to examine and look into, but there's a bit of a barrier to get in. It's not it's not exactly straightforward. Yeah, I mean it's very difficult to um, I mean it's 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 a way easier transition to um, you know kind of make your move into the whole single family game, get involved in the fix and flip. Um, a lot of people are already familiar with that process. They've, you know, um, bought a house, right? So they've already gone through the whole mortgage approval process and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, in the multifamily side, it's very difficult to, you know, meet the requirements for, you know, net worth and liquidity and all these things that you have to have. Um, you have to be an experienced operator to get, you know, to be a sponsor and a loan and you know, be able to acquire large, large assets. And, um, you know, it's one of our, uh, you know, mine and Marco's, um, you know, models here uh, with our business is basically, you know, cash flowing one door at a time. So we're in the game of acquiring as many doors as we can. And, you know, we have the ability over time to increase value so we can increase rents. And, you know, over, you know, hundreds and, you know, thousands of units, um, you have the ability to build a, a long-term, um, you know, cash stream that's um, will continue to grow in, in um, with time. Yeah. Right? And so. just to add to something you said, you said, you know, there's a lot of barriers to get into the multifamily game and one of the biggest ones is finding the deal and i talked about that at the beginning of this podcast how difficult it is to find the deal and unless you're linked in with the wholesalers 
the brokers, other investors, you will not hear about the deals that because if it's a deal, it gets scooped up by a quality investor. It will not come to you. Oh yeah, a, a quality investor that gets wind of that deal will capitalize it, capitalize on it before you get it. So you know you're not going to find these deals unless you're integrated into the real estate world, and and we are, which is awesome because we see these deals, and and even then. You know, it might take us a hundred deals to actually find something that we want. Oh, for sure. I mean, so, the whole underwriting process is like very, very, um, you know, we sweat pretty much, right? So there's the, even when you see a deal and you think you see a deal and there's these, um, you know, uh, kind of just pie in the sky, you know, pro forma projections from, you know, brokers or um, whoever, you know, the wholesalers that has it under contract, everyone's kind of shooting it and, and coming up with fictitious numbers of, you know, this and that. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all, we also want to understand why the seller is selling. If it's such a good deal, like what's what's his situation? What's his, you know, what's his motivation? Why is he looking to sell? Um, you know, how long has he had the property for? So we're kind of, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll do our best to, um, you know, educate listeners on, how to you know vet you know the sellers the deal better and and uh, how you'll know if it's a good deal. Obviously, you have to walk in and you know do yeah. much more but and just, on and, the surface. Yeah, and just to mention something, just to tie this all together, I mean, uh, you know, buying a home versus living off a of cash flow. Two two very like I mean everybody's parents I think kind of teaches them you know to save up buy a home and uh, like we talked about I think it will work I think that that's a great strategy but. I think you can actually do better by living off of your cash flow because if you're going to put 300 grand or 500 grand down or whatever you got to put down, think about what that money can actually do for you if it wasn't in a house. Think about what you can actually get on that cash if it's invested in the right place. And I'm and I and I love real estate. I'm still talking brick and mortar assets, but I'm talking multifamily, not single family, not your primary residence. And and you know what, Marco, we'll um, we're going to have an episode probably. I think episode five or six, where we're going to highlight single family versus multi-family, and not to say that we, you know, um, you know, one or the other is is uh, you know this is the right way to go or that's the right, right way to go, but we're going to kind of highlight you know where we're putting our money, <clears throat> sorry, where we're putting our money, and I think it's clear where you think uh, our heads are at. We've been talking about multi-family, but we'll kind of highlight the differences and why, and um, you know why multi-family is a, is the best way to. To scale a you know a real estate investing business, there's I think, a lot I think of it's the best way to create wealth in every way, shape, and form. Yeah. So I mean, you, you get paid four ways, right? Cash flow, market appreciation, and and force appreciation. That's one. Um, amortization and depreciation. So those are the four core ways that you know, as an investor, you know, and you make money. The list goes on and on. There's tax tons incentives. and tons. Yeah. There's there's oh, there's, it's insane. Yeah, so I mean, I think that was good, Marco. I think we um, we tackled a lot of, uh, you know, what we wanted to yeah, kind of we, talk about. Yeah, we hit about a bunch of different topics just to get everybody a feel for what they can expect from the Cash Flow Addicts uh, podcast here. Um, I enjoyed doing this, so I'm I'm ready to uh, to keep, you know, hammering these out. That's fun, man. Yeah, so next week we'll uh, release our first episode and we'll actually have a legitimate talk uh, topic to you know, kind of highlight and, and dive into. But, you know, today I think it was fun to kind of introduce ourselves and, you know, let you guys know, um, you yeah, know, just to we're tell all a little bit about yeah. our story too, where we came from and yeah. how we got here. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So um, that was episode one. And um, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks for listening, Appreciate guys. Appreciate it. Cheers.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Multifamily Cash Flow Addicts podcast. For more free podcasts, go to anchor.fm slash cashflowaddicts. If you're interested in learning more about how you can passively invest into one of Marco and Dan's upcoming multifamily deals, text APARTMENTS to 813-213-0427 if you reside in the U.S. Or text APARTMENTS to 647-691-1043 if you reside in Canada. You can also visit willowdaleequity.com to learn more. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.